0: Welcome back, because it's another fine edition of this podcast that we call Theme Park the Movie, the show where we talk about our favorite movies and the theme park attractions inspired by them, and, oh, dear listeners, the subject matter of today's episode, it's quite scary, quite frightening, it's it's so scary and frightening that I need my mummy! That's right, not mommy, but mummy. Isn't that ironic that I'm so scared and frightened that I turn to a mummy. Oh my goodness, uh, it's so frightening and confusing. Uh, but our subject matter isn't so frightening. Uh, maybe a little frightening to some people, but it is not confusing because we will be discussing the 1999 movie, The Mummy, and the theme park attraction, Revenge of the Mummy. Oh my goodness, so much mummies. Two mummies in one episode? Oh my goodness. Uh, But we won't be alone. Uh, She's not a mummy, but she is a great guest because that guest talking with us about all things mummy is Sarah Rose. We had such a great time talking about mummy stuff, talking about Brendan Fraser stuff, and just talking about just all sorts of decent, cool, fun, great, other positive, superlative stuff. In fact, let's not waste any time and get to that mummy Let's go ahead and just ride the movie. Listeners of the podcast, please welcome Sarah Rose.
1: Hello! Hi, thanks for
0: having me. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Of course.
0: Now, I know this about you, but I have a feeling if people recognize your name online, it's because they recognize you from your costume work, I believe.
1: Yeah, Um. I was actually really shocked that I have a small... Instagram following for my costume design. I think it's really cool that people just like my version of art. So that's been a really fun journey.
0: We'll talk about your artwork. Um, so costume design, obviously a specific interest, but also within that interest, there's a lot of variety in its in of itself. So talk about. I want to hear more about what your interests are within costume design, and also what your inspiration is.
1: Oh, um, where do I even start? So I guess my love for costuming really did start um, with a lot of universal picture films. Um, I just always liked costumes ever since I was little. I used to do performances and used to perform like on stage when I was five. Um, and I even pursued a career in it for a short time. And during that, I always found myself really drawn to the costuming room. And I will never forget my first production, where I actually saw seamstresses putting together uh, a costume for a lead for a Christmas Carol. And I just was so fascinated that um, my school actually offered like sewing classes, you know, like you had to pick between cooking, sewing, or like basic other things. I always picked sewing. And I don't know, it just kind of grew from there. And actually The Mummy was one of those films that really inspired my costume design. So I think I've just always had a love for vintage things or things from the past because fashion nowadays actually still really, really repeats itself. And it's been fun watching corsets come back in, um, especially stays come back in because those were used back in the day as not just a top, but actually as bras underneath for women. So it's been really fun seeing them take that, what used to be an undergarment historically to a really bold fashion statement nowadays. So I've just had kind of a love for fashion that way. And that's why I like to marry the two when I do my own costuming.
0: I mean, you were talking about that. I mean, I've heard of underwear, but underwear becoming outerwear
1: I know it's 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 a crazy concept when you go back to the history of it because back then you know to see what we do nowadays would be absolutely very risque and um funny enough we would not be seen so kindly in the eyes of high society back then so I'm really glad that's changed throughout history
0: I know we're just living sinful sinful lives we all these cities we live in are just Sodom and Gomorrah's
1: I know. How dare we show skin? We're Back showing then,
0: Yeah. Oh showing, my god. Showing all of our ankles, our, our bare, ankles, our bare ankles just hanging out there all loose for anyone to like look at and touch.
1: And how dare we show our bare arms, much less our stomachs. Bare how arms. dare we? The you scandal. Know,
0: I know. I mean, look, I, I I think the old timey swimsuits that extended from like the from like your wrists all the way down to your feet, I think that was the I think that was the way to go in polite society.
1: Um, it actually very much was. I can't believe some of what like the swimming wear would be back in like Victorian era. It was just bananas because they were almost full clothing. And I think it wasn't until, if I remember correctly, 1950s that we really made that bold choice of showing a lot of skin. Um, That we are more used to. I think that's actually late 1950s is when the bikini came around. Which nowadays, if you look at the bikinis we wear compared to what they wear back then, that would be a very modest bikini. So it's just been fun watching um, where we started with fashion. You know, dating back to BC times to how we went from barely any clothes, very light um, fibers, very light. Fabrics, A lot of them we can't even make anymore because either those plants don't exist or the techniques are just so lost to us. And it's fun going from barely any close to somehow all of a sudden we became a very, very, very close clothing, like race, at least with the English side and the European side of everything. But a lot of other cultures didn't actually embrace that so much. except for some areas in the Middle Eastern, but those are for religious purpose, of course. Um, And it's fun watching that whole arc to now where we are with society, at least in America nowadays, where showing so much skin would not throw such, you know, (laughs) scandal, such commodities. It's just so crazy watching how much skin we show nowadays to pair to like what history has kind of taught us.
0: Do you you think, I I mean, I'm not much of a historian, yet I feel like so much, not just fashion, but a lot of aspects of quote unquote society were probably curtailed to what what is looked upon as like the proper way of doing things, the proper way of being an upstanding citizen and how that looks like in the public eye. And I half wonder if like back then, obviously, that was sort of the standard to... Uh, to aspire to, but these days when I think interests are so varied, and also the maybe what may be looked at as sort of the upper class look or the upper class society isn't always the most attainable image. That I wonder if like that's part of that fashion trend changing.
1: Oh, absolutely! Um, that trend from a upper class to a lower class has been existent since the dawn of time. Shockingly enough. Um, If I remember correctly from some of my classes I took in college, like we can even date back like past the Sumerian times and there were even layers upon that of like what was high society, what wasn't high society. And it's just, if anyone ever wants to go on that journey which I would highly recommend because it does unintentionally and I think that's why I fell in love with clothing especially costuming uh, because costuming I guess people think Party City, but when I think costuming, it's actually more of just, like, a history of how clothing used to be wear, and they weren't even costumes back then. They were, uh, you know, a pillar of status. They were a pillar of what you could afford, and then on top of that, what a lot of people don't take in consideration is we can date history and find out about our surroundings just based on the fibers that they wore back then, so, like, you know, when people think Victorian time, you think, oh, wow, that must be really hot to wear so many of those layers. But it's been proven that back then, especially in European, especially England, that temperatures were very cold back then. So fibers like wool were very, you know, common to see on a garment, you know, anywhere, whether it man, woman, um, and even gender roles were kind of which we won't go into, but even gender roles were starting to be kind of seen as that I hate that they use the term lady voice, but there were a lot of uh, men that dressed as women back then that aren't really talked about. And I find that very fascinating because, you know, even the stays that they had to wear or their undergarments would be the same as females, but some of them would have to be built a little bit differently, depending on like the torso and all that jazz. So fashion, it wasn't as quick, it wasn't as easily available like it is now. Um, It definitely was something you had to earn. And the more you spent on a dress or the more you spent on a shirt, the more you spent, the higher you looked in society. Now, mind you, half these people, especially during um, Victorian eras, and I'm trying to date it to something a little bit more that we're used to seeing on TV, a lot of those gowns that we see, and they have like six to seven to eight to nine. That's actually historically incorrect. A lot of people wouldn't be able to afford much less have something that quickly sent to them. Because you have to think about it, a lot of these fibers were sent overseas at this time. A lot of fibers were being made by hands. They weren't even being made by machine. And the ones that were made by a machine were very much more expensive. So. It's fun when you dive into that history, you kind of start learning about society in kind of like a hush-hush way.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, maybe your knowledge of fashion, your knowledge of history, well, maybe that can help us as we, well, not only do we go back in time, but to a whole nother country, whole nother continent. And let's go ahead and get into tonight's topic. And let's start with... The Mummy.
1: Yeah! Where did you
0: get this? On a dig down in Thebes. (gasps) Jonathan, I think you found something.
1: There is an ancient legend of a place known as the City of
0: the Dead. We call it the doorway to hell. Where the earliest pharaohs were said to have hidden the wealth of Egypt.
1: Are we going into battle?
0: There's something out there.
1: Something underneath that sand. They came to uncover its secrets. Mummies, my good son. This is where they made the mummies. They sought to unlock its treasure.
0: And then there was light.
1: Oh, boy. What they did. Oh, my god. It does exist.
0: I think this may be the book of the dead.
1: Was unleash a force unlike any the world has ever known.
0: You must not read from the book.
1: What the hell was that? You have unleashed the creature that we have feared for more than three thousand years. Whoa! He will regenerate oh! and no longer be the undead.
0: We are in serious trouble. this Webb. If the occasion calls for it, trust me, it calls for it. Oh!
1: Bristle Pictures invites you This power is a groin Run! This just
0: keeps getting better and better To
1: experience the adventure It appears he's already chosen his human sacrifice That will live forever
0: If he turns me into a mummy, you're the first one I'm coming after Go! The Mummy, directed by Stephen Sommers, was released on May 7th, 1999. It stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo, and many others. It is a loose remake of the 1932 Universal monster movie of the same name. Now, before we get into the actual film that we'll be discussing, have you seen the original 1932 Mummy movie?
1: I have seen clips of it okay. um, from college classes, but I've never been able to sit down and watch all of it. It's
0: not bad. It's not bad. Uh, it's a, I mean, I'm a sucker for universal classic horror stuff. So it's just, Dang. it's just kind of up my alley. Um, but yeah, I it's Boris Karloff as the uh, lead role. And when I say, lo- when we say loose adaptation, that is because like a lot of stuff like, our main hero characters don't exist in the 1932 movie and a lot of other details have changed. And yet, like, that original 32 movie is about an Egyptian priest named Imhotep who is buried alive, mummified, and then is resurrected in present day to try to resurrect his form- his uh, lost lover. So, oh, a lot of so Yeah.
1: very basic like loosely based on this that's interesting
0: kind of taking i think the original sort of fantastic premise of it and then just sort of slightly tweak the tweak the uh settings and change the characters and then you have the 1999 remake that we will be discussing for this evening now sarah Mm -hmm. what does this movie mean to you
1: childhood is the first thing that comes to my mind um With my group of friends, we would watch this all the time. Um, We first discovered it in fifth grade because, you know, PG-13 back then and all that jazz and parents were a little bit more strict for some reason. Now we know that that's so silly compared to what we see on TV nowadays. Um, We were just obsessed with it from the costuming to just, you know, the actors and, I think the ongoing joke with so many people is that it was everyone's pretty much sexual awakening. Um, For me, I would say it was one of my awakenings to fall in love with costuming.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I definitely got a different perspective on it at a young age. And I just was obsessed with like Egyptian lore after that and just, I just couldn't get enough. I basically had to buy this DVD a couple times because the first time that we got it, we just scratched it up so bad <laughs> so many times.
0: And I got to say, so I saw this movie in theaters and I and I enjoyed it. And I did own the DVD of, of this movie for a while. Um, and I have always liked it. I've always had a good opinion of it. But I find it very interesting that... Uh, I liked it, but I never thought of it as a foundational movie of my nostalgic childhood. And yet I feel like these days, especially, I think you look around the Internet uh, and you see a lot of millennials and even Zoomers who are almost uh, maybe not quite on the same level. But I feel like the mummy is getting up there in like almost like Shrek, where like people are so canonizing this as like one of my oh these are just one of my films this this is the movie that I grew up with and seems to be the same for you
1: oh absolutely we um I went to Megacon with my boyfriend and not only was Brendan Fraser there of course so everyone came up to you know meet him and everything but the amount of people wearing costumes from that movie was insane and it's just so fun watching that it went from like a small name in the cosplay community to like kind of a really big group that just everyone just kind of gets it and just understands like kind of how special this whole movie is
0: he i want to start with the man you just talked about brendan fraser uh because i i i've always been a fan of his but when i was Mm -hmm. re-watching this movie i was like is this his peak role is this sort of like one of the best versions of Brendan Fraser as an actor because I feel like he hits this very wonderful note where he is where he writes this fine line that I don't think is easy that where you understand I think the sort of rugged gravitas of this character of uh Mm -hmm. Rick um, but he can also be funny and charming, in, in the way that I think Brendan Fraser is sort of naturally comedic in most of his roles. So, yeah. so I don't know. Do you do you think that the Mummy is peak Brendan Fraser?
1: That's so hard. Do I? I don't know. I maybe now, but as a child, I never felt that way about him. Just because. He just kinda has this it factor that just welcomes you in. And as I rewatch some of his movies, he's vastly different in a, like almost every role he does. And none of them are comparable. So he's just kind of this wonderful, charming man that gets to grace your screen. I don't know, I just, he he could never do wrong for me in any role he was, though I would say, out of, like, level of, like, sexual attraction for all of society, I would say this and George of the Jungle was absolutely his peak.
0: I mean, I I mean, I think, I mean, he's in general, generally speaking, a good-looking guy. But, yeah, this oh, was... Oh,
1: absolutely. But,
0: like, late 90s, Brendan Fraser, I mean, he's shirtless most of the time in these movies. So, I mean, Yeah, and on.
1: he just knew how to play that, like, either charming, ditzy man... Mm-hmm. That lovable asshole that you just could not get enough of because there was no ill will from him. He was just very sarcastic. And I joke that he was kind of like the first starting for what kind of Flynn Ryder became to be.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I It's funny, I when I was re-watching the movie for this episode, I had two thoughts about his performance uh, re-watching this. One, mm-hmm. I think... His performance in the Mummy is the type of performance that I think Chris Pratt is trying to do when he does when he's in an action movie, but he can't pull it off. Like I oh. like because yeah? yeah I was the, I was talking about this with a friend uh, earlier uh, earlier today or a couple of days ago. Oh, memory and time goes by so weird, so I don't remember. But we were talking about Chris Pratt and what works. And does not work for him as an actor? And I I said to him, I think what makes Chris Pratt work in a movie is when he plays a funny loser who's trying to be cool, but he's not cool. And that's what makes him funny. But anytime he has to play a straight-laced guy who's unironically supposed to be cool, like in Jurassic World or The Tomorrow War, he doesn't have that natural gravitas to pull that off. But I was watching The Mummy and I was like, oh, I think this is what, I think what Brendan's doing in The Mummy is kind of what I think Pratt wants to do, which is sort of balance that, balance the two. And like, oh, I guess that's, that's just what being a movie star is really.
1: Absolutely. It's so funny you say that because I just recently saw the new Jurassic Park and I gotta say Uh, focus on it too hard but it was very (laughs) meh to Uh me the whole time Mm -hmm. and then on top of it I just I really could have done without Chris Pratt like there really was no need for him there besides being you know really good at providing those like Quote unquote stunt scenes, because I don't think he does his own stunts, but I don't know. Besides that, I didn't really feel he added value to the movie. And I think I have to agree with you. Like, he doesn't, he's not a Brendan Fraser type.
0: Yeah. And here's another, yeah, here's another thing that actually occurred to me. Because oftentimes when you think about, if you think about a lot of comic books that eventually become movies or could become movies one day, sometimes you do. Fan casting in your head, I was like. Oh, this actor could definitely play this hero, or this actor could definitely play this villain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I was watching the mummy, I had the second thought: uh, this version of F- Fraser, nineteen ninety nine Fraser.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think he could have been Superman.
1: Okay, I see it. I think. I, he- actually, uh-huh. I see it a bit. I think. Are we talking? not talking about like the most recent superman we're talking about like the one during the 90s right early 2000s
0: well i feel like without comparing it to other performances i feel like huh i think and again talking about that same balance that he manages to strike in this movie between the kind of rugged gravitas of being an action hero while also sort of being humane and funny with his joking but not yeah making it seem too silly it's like I think that's what a I think that's what Superman needs to be in a movie. I think he has to have that sort of well. Uh, I mean, aside from like his frame, like in Brendan, like 1999, Brendan Fraser was you know he was a large frame man, very muscular yes. man. So he has the build, but it's like, huh? There's something about him and his look that reads, oh, this is a guy who seems very physically strong and can, and I could see pull off superheroic feats. but there is this inane human quality to him that is relatable and not alien. And I'm like, I think that, yeah, I think that's where I see th- where he can be a good Superman.
1: I don't know for me about Superman, but I absolutely even Brendan Fraser now, I would love for him to get the chance to eventually go into either the Marvel or DC universe. I think his talent could really provide some like really beautiful moments to any of like the superheroes that are coming up.
0: Uh, technically he is already part of the DC uh I didn't universe. Know that. That's fine. he's uh he's the uh, voice of robot man on the uh I think it's, yeah, it's now in the HBO Max show, Doom Patrol, which is a DC's comic book series originally.
1: That's right, I forgot. We literally just started watching that, like, I think two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, so technically I'm he isn't. Yeah, he's technically in the DC, but uh, only, only in voice. But uh, I could totally see him getting involved in the proper DC uh, universe as a hero, face front superhero.
1: Exactly. At this point, just give us what we want.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We all want him to be in just movies in general. I like between him and just like all the stars from like the nineties kind of slowly making their way back mm-hmm. and just, I hate to say this cause it's not a competition, but kind of sticking it to the newer generation and showing them this like whole new side of acting that I feel like kind of forgot, forgotten and lost has been really
0: fun. Yeah, showing off to people like Chris Pratt, as we talked about. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, he just needs his own uh, kind of Keanu Reeves-like renaissance somehow in the movie, some, somehow, <laughs> yeah. later down the line. He needs a John Wick, I guess. I guess he needs to find his John Wick to get his groove back somehow. Yeah. Or maybe, because uh, I guess like John Wick 4 is supposed to be the last outing for Keanu Reeves. Maybe, Keanu, maybe oh, Brendan nice. can... can Maybe Brendan can be the new John Wick or John Wick's brother or cousin.
1: That'd uh, be interesting.
0: He can be Bob Wick or something like that. He's Bob Wick and he's going to do nicely choreographed fights with karate and guns.
1: <laughs> no, I'm so sad that John Wick's going to end soon.
0: Yeah, I, I think, or unless so, who knows? If the sequel makes money, I'm sure it'll make more. Hey, you know who's also in this movie? Rachel Rice. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, that is true.
0: Who's a wonderful lady and a wonderful actress who had done other movies before this. But really, I think people were like, oh, I don't know who this actress is. Wait a minute. That's the mummy lady. And now she's in yeah. all of our lives. And she is oh wonderful. Oh, my
1: God. She, and she was just so stunning. Like, she already is so stunning. But, like, give props to the costuming and makeup team because they just enhanced her so much. Like they just enhanced her natural beauty. And I think Evie, like I don't even remember her full name is Evelyn, you know, it's, it's Evie because that's what we all remember, you know, Brendan's character screaming Evie all the time. but She just has such iconic looks in this movie that just, I think just kind of struck a chord in a lot of people. And I think it's, she's one of the reasons that this movie is so memorable also was again one of those times that we saw you know the female uh, protagonist just not be ditzy like she was smart but she wasn't incapable like she was completely capable and completely in her power and she had such a charming way of proving that and I think that's why this character is so endearing
0: yeah I mean it's a pretty wonderful i think it's a pretty good cast with like brendan and rachel i think john Hanna's funny uh yeah. i think Ar- i think arnold Vosloo is pretty is a pretty fun villain for someone who has to be more presence than dialogue i think he's pretty mm-hmm. cool um, I, I mean, at least give him props for all the all the like the makeup and special effects and costume work he had to endure just to be emo tap at the very this least. This
1: whole movie's a chef's kiss. It really is. Like this is a movie that you feel the whole project. There was so much love from beginning to end.
0: So another thing I like about this movie because we talked a bit about this, how it's kind of become one of those movies that kids grow up with. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a PG-13 movie
1: <laughs> yes. with,
0: but here here's what I thought is was interesting. And I think is maybe missing from certain other movies that are PG-13 these days, is that mm-hmm. technically this movie could be considered violent and sexy. Like it can be considered sexy because um, you have uh, a I think think is the a Moon. a Moon. Like, you know, you yeah. have that opening scene where she's, you know, scantily clad and has the body paint on. It's a pretty like oh, a
1: She's not even just scantily clad. She literally only has a sarong or uh-huh. some people call it a thong mm-hmm. on and then the rest of it's just body paint, which Exactly. I don't know if I can say the body paint is accurate. I think the gold is if I remember, but overall just how naked she was is actually Mm -hmm. pretty correct to Egyptian times
0: well it's about a supernatural mummy so we can forgive some fantastic but here's the thing is like that's very sexy but the movie itself doesn't really have sex in it like it's it like it doesn't really have explicit sex in it and that even I think extends towards the violence like it's a violent movie but it's not an explicitly gory movie I like
1: to call it a little baby horror movie.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what makes the, I think that's what honestly makes, probably made the movie so enticing to kids or kids getting into their tweens and teens. Was that Mm -hmm. like, like in this movie, you have things like, you have stabbings, you have tongues being cut out. You have scarab,
1: eaten.
0: and you yeah you have uh, scarab beetles going underneath people's skin oh. uh, you have a lot of this uh, like on paper violent stuff going on mm-hmm. and, and then you have uh, but there's no like explicit gore or explicit blood going on so I feel yeah. like yeah like you said this is like baby steps towards horror basically
1: mm-hmm. I absolutely see this as like a lot of people I think will laugh at me for saying it's horror, but it's absolutely for me, Mm -hmm. like a horror movie. Like you have the scream queen, Mm -hmm. you have the two main villains,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you have the funny sidekick, you have, you know, the dashing hero. And yes, even though the main leads don't die, pretty much everybody surrounding them kind of does. Oh yeah. Hurt in some sense. So tons
0: tons of people die in this movie, you know? (laughs)
1: And this movie definitely made me start investigating like creepier things. I remember that. I was like, what other creepy, you know, Egyptian movies did they have out there that I could get access to, you know, as a girl in the Mm. nineties with barely any access to, you know, we didn't even really have like good internet back then. Mm. We couldn't like download things without getting caught.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, real quick before we wrap up the movie stuff. Uh, so this movie was so successful that it spawns a whole bunch of different spin-offs. You had the two proper sequels, the Mummy Returns and the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Um, mm-hmm. There was an animated cartoon that ran for a season or so. I forget how many episodes it ran. It also spun off or uh, I should say the sequel, the Mummy Returns spun off into its own franchise called The Scorpion King, which was sort of one of the early movie uh, movie attempts of Dwayne the Rock Carol. Johnson. Yeah, it,
1: it was not good. But well, I, I w- put the Rock a little bit more on the map.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you real quick: How do you you love the original movie? How do you feel about all these different sequels, spinoffs, cartoons? How do you feel about all the stuff that came afterwards?
1: some some have been fun and amazing others have been very vapid like the idea was there it just wasn't quite delivered the way i think they were intending but like i applaud them for trying because the mummy is just very hard to live up to it's one of those movies that's just like you know you either loved it or you hated it but if you loved it you really loved it
0: yeah but I mean, there's a moment in Tomb of the Dragon Emperor where uh, there's a bunch of Yetis and then the Yetis kick a field goal and then they hold up their arms like they scored a field goal. Isn't that the isn't that a worthy <laughs> successor to the mummy?
1: I I did not even know that existed, but it makes me quite upset to know that it exists.
0: No, 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 you're not upset. You're you're instantly going to iTunes and you're putting that on your uh, to rent list.
1: Oh, I'm instantly going to go to YouTube after this and look this (laughs) up because I just... The fact to know that the editing teams probably green-screened all of that and put effort into that, I feel like I have to see it at this point just to be like, you did it. Congratulations.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But speaking of congratulations, I think it's very clear. this The original OG, 1999, The Mummy, Still a fun time, still a fun, adventurous time. Uh, oh, did you ever see that Tom Cruise one?
1: Um, so, no, but I did purposely go out of the way to look up a lot of the main mummy girls, like costume design and everything, because I remember watching the Horror Maker Picture Show and sitting there and being like, oh my God, this girl almost sat there for like six hours per day on set to get into this costume. I have to know more about it. And just the whole process of that is just so interesting. If anyone wants to look that up, I highly suggest it. It's fascinating how they even still made the actress go through all those steps, you know, for the parts that are extremely CGI just because like, obviously they can't put her in like a skeleton outfit, but trans, you know, transforming it from that to it applying in like a real human wearing that. And we just kind of accept it. I think is really cool.
0: Yeah, hey, at least the look seems pretty cool. Otherwise, uh, the movie itself, not so good. That's why you can uh, just watch the movie trailer and be like, hey, that mummy, at least the mummy looks good. Herself. Yeah, I
1: feel like one, two was good. And then after that, we all just kind of like, okay, that's enough now. And then they just kept giving us mummy movie after mummy movie. And everyone was like, we didn't ask for this, but thank you.
0: Yeah, but you are happy that you did get 1999's the mummy so i think before we head on to the attraction uh let's wrap up with the movie discussion so uh sarah what are your uh, final thoughts that you have to say about the movie the mummy
1: i love it whatever child if i have a child in the future i will show it to them and i will show it to their grandchildren because it's just It's a fun movie. It takes you on a whole journey. And a lot of movies I feel like nowadays try to capture that big movie magic that this movie brought.
0: And you know what? What they did with that movie magic, well, I think they turned it into some theme park magic.
1: They did turn it into some theme park magic.
0: So let's go ahead and get to that theme park magic with Revenge of the Mummy.
1: handle the world's first psychological thrill ride revenge of the mummy the
0: ride now open at universal orlando resort revenge of the mummy opened at universal studios on may 21st 2004 it is an enclosed roller coaster attraction with dark ride elements other versions later opened at universal studios hollywood and universal studios singapore Mm. very much a beloved ride though a beloved universal ride is it beloved to you
1: yeah it's one of the first rides if I go to universal studios I have to go on eventually before leaving for the day
0: yeah I remember when I first uh I used to live in central Florida then I had to move away for a while and when I came back to Central Florida and was able to go to Universal more often. I just remember uh I would just constantly, every day I could go to Universal, just do the single rider line for both Revenge of the Mummy and Men in Black Alien Attack. Mm-hmm. Those would just be constant things. Honestly, to the point that I still love those two rides, mm-hmm. but I I think I've done them so much that I'm like, I think I'm only gonna do these if other people wanna do them. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> that, like that's how much I've cycled through them um but what are your uh what are some of your earliest memories of Revenge of the Mummy?
1: I remember getting on it um early of course it was early 2000 so I was like what 12 13 I think when I first went on it um at that time I was going with my who was it my aunt my uncle who still worked for Universal at that time, and then a couple of my cousins and we were doing a family vacation. And I think if I remember correctly, it was my cousin Josh's bar mitzvah that we came up for and to celebrate, we went to Universal. So that was a lot of fun. Um, And I just remember going through it and it was the first time I saw even a waiting queue built to the magnitude that mummy was like it really doesn't capture the whole essence of being on a set and I think it's so cool that they have like replicas because still part of me doesn't believe that any of that is actually from the movie set Um, but if I'm wrong I am wrong but it's just so cool to see replicas of like what they had from the movie and just the information about it and then once you're past that section, you're actually like in the tomb, which I think we can all agree when we first watch The Mummy, that's exactly like one place we would absolutely want to visit or be immersed in.
0: Yeah, you look, you watch the movie and like, hey, I love the movie, but get me in that tomb. I want to be in that tomb.
1: It's true. And they even get you in like the scare part with the air. And I think it's so funny, but so mean that they allow other guests to freak you out. So it's not even automatic. It's just like, oh, this person's coming. Let's scare them.
0: Yeah. I want to bring this up because I think for most people, a lot of people who don't know this ride, or even those who do love this ride, uh, you know i think their if their familiarity of it, of it is like okay yeah it's a roller coaster ride it's based on the mummy and you get on the ride and you go up and you go down and the mummy's trying to chase you and get you and all that mm-hmm. that's a simple story and yet i don't know how many people recognize the weird complex layers of storytelling is actually going on with this ride yeah. because if okay uh, you know, sit down with some, put, put on a pot of coffee for this plot description. So it isn't just simply a ride where like you get on a roller coaster and the mummy starts chasing you around, trying to get you. The mm-hmm. idea behind this ride is that you are on the set of the new mummy sequel called Revenge of the Mummy. So uh, like you were saying, you see movie props in the first part of the queue and that is to give you the idea that you are on the sets of this new mummy sequel being made and there are these televisions playing cue video footage and it's showing uh, not only Brendan Fraser himself but also the director of the two mummy movies Stephen Summers. Uh, you know, doing some stick pretending like, oh, yeah, we're here on set on Revenge of the Mummy, the new Mummy sequel. Blah, 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 blah. Wow,
1: look at that. So interesting.
0: Exactly. And the reason that the Mummy is angry and wants to get us is because if you pay attention to the monitors and follow the storyline, uh, they are using authentic Egyptian props for <laughs> the movie and... And it is sort of rumored that these props are cursed. So there are various people around the movie set, like the crew members, who are trying to wear this symbol uh, the Eye of the Magi. And that is to protect them from any potential curses that these artifacts and props may bring to the film set. And on this monitor, you can see Brendan Fraser kind of playing up trying to be like an asshole actor on set. Yeah. Being mean to crew members and being real flippant about the whole curse thing. But
1: could I actually add something onto that? Sure. Would it know? So I did a shift here um, at the mummy attraction when during COVID and we were all just, you know, trying to get on by. (laughs) Poor. Um, And they even give you like, so part of the uniform is you're supposed to either wear a staff badge. And then um, I think even, yes, everyone there has to wear the, an eye of the Magi. And that's, I was even told by the lead that that's a continuous stick. Like at Greenlots, you know, you're a guard. They're like, just so you know, the run through, you are a staff, everyone coming into the queue is somebody you are recruiting for the new movie. So make sure that's clear. And if you are inside the building, you absolutely have to wear the Magi's to continue this, you know, keeping the curse away. So I thought that was really interesting that Universal even went that far into that plot of the story.
0: It's one of the last attractions that I think keeps that, uh, that, because when Universal Studios first opened up, it was about more about movie making than putting you inside a movie storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- and Revenge of the Mummy is like one of the last attractions that Universal made that still has that movie making aspect to the storyline of its attraction. Um, but yeah, and then the reason that all the roller coaster stuff happens is that the set is becoming more cursed and crazy and horror and the curse is actually real and oh no emotep has now been resurrected and he's going to get you now so it's funny because yeah you could get on this thing and be like oh yeah crazy mommy's trying to get me while i go high and low at high speeds but then if you pay attention there's this meta layer essentially to this ride that you could totally skip by
1: absolutely and it's crazy like that they just even think that far into it. I think that's why it has such a special place in my heart.
0: And it for me, I, I, I talked about this on a previous episode. I talked about this uh on oh what what did, did oh yeah, I talked about this on the Tower of Terror episode uh with, with friends of the show Matt Benton. And we talked about how uh Theme Park fans, I think, exist on a certain spectrum, where on one side of the spectrum. There are people who love the theming of an attraction. They love the immersion, the special effects, the storytelling. That's what they're in for. I am absolutely
1: one of those people.
0: Okay. But there's people who are on the other side of the spectrum where it's just about the thrills. It's about how fast it goes, how twisty turny it is, how high and low Mm -hmm. it goes. And I think as we talked about it with Tower of Terror, I think Revenge of the Mummy is so memorable because it hits that sweet spot right in the center of those two ends, you know? Yeah. It has really fun thrills of a roller coaster, but it has great dark ride elements and special effects to it.
1: Yes. And it is one of those ones that, like, all the special effects just, it's not an enhancement, it's an immersion. So it's not... Just gimmickry. It's like for this story to make sense, you actually do need these elements. Otherwise, you kind of mishap the story.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things going on in this ride. When you think about it, you have uh, your roller coaster track that goes backwards and forwards. You have uh, screen projections, animatronics, fire effects. There's there's a lot going on in this ride. When you yeah. really like give it a second thought, did you know? that when this ride first opened one of the 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 big thing that universal tried to advertise this as aside from you know hey the mummy movies you love them come ride the new ride but one Mm -hmm. of the big selling points that universal was trying to advertise was that they were saying that this was the world's first psychological thrill ride do you remember this
1: I don't, but you know, hearing you say that, this absolutely is one of those rides.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I mean, it sounds a little bit like kind of more buzzword and average and marketing, but it's like, I think the reason that they were saying that this is the world's first psychological thrill ride is like all your all your fears that you that a person could have. We're gonna have it on this ride. If you're afraid of the dark, oh, a lot of it's in the dark. If you're afraid of of go of drops in speed oh you got that and then you're afraid of fire oh no there's fire if you're afraid of insects <laughs> oh no we have a scarab beetle room and and on and on and on uh, and uh i don't know i think that's i think that's a very intriguing uh way of trying to advertise a ride to to talk about it's like yes yeah, psychologically you could be traumatized by this roller coaster ride but you should come ride it
1: Honestly, that's extremely clever. Uh Like what else do we have? HHN and when did that start?
0: Yeah, Uh, well, HHN started in 1991. So one year after the park opened. Um, So
1: think about it. It's probably, besides I would assume Jaws, it's one of the first rides that like gave you essentially all the thrills that you could experience in a haunted house
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a very good observation it's almost like going through a haunted house but as a ride
1: Mm -hmm. oh it it does play with all of that and honestly smart on their end because you know you have horror nights that everyone waits for and every and it's so funny when anyone talks about HHN throughout Universal like I bet you nine out of ten times something like mummies or the mummy eventually the conversation goes there because who wouldn't want a mummy scary like a scare zone or a mummy? yeah
0: exactly and
1: like this ride kind of gives us that sweet spot and we can visit it year round which i think is really really cool
0: what is what might be uh, a favorite part of this ride either a favorite uh room of the ride or our favorite elements of the ride what what would you what especially sticks with you
1: the two things that I always look forward to is the beginning part with the gold room just because I always have that ongoing bet with whoever I'm with how many of them are going to pop up this time and I always cheer when all of them pop up because you know technical difficulties because in that room (laughs) yeah
0: because in that room you have these uh these statues of mummy guards who are supposed to pop up at some point and there's and it's supposed to be all four of them but you know sometimes you know with these theme park attractions eh, sometimes you're lucky to get one you know
1: yeah but when even when it doesn't I think for anyone if this is your first time going into it it's just the grandeur of that whole opening room like from start pad launch pad all the way into the first room you've the cart from like the seating where you feel like you're in a cart and it's shaking you around to, you know, being on the set of The Mummy and you're just like, wow, this is what it really would feel like if I was on the set. Like the ceilings are tall, you know, you have all this gold, the lighting is beautiful. And then the projected face on the ride, I think it's just so bigger than life. And it kind of sets you up for like, maybe a different mindset than what the ride becomes after that first drop. So I think it's a fun psych out in the beginning. And then I think the next room would be the fire ceiling room where you get to see the animatronic of the mummy again. And for, you know, for when it was built, it is pretty smooth from when it was first originally built. And just looking up above and you see fire and you're just like, this is not fake. Like this is legit fire. I can feel the heat then straight back into a backwards drop it's just it's so memorable
0: uh-huh yeah um I also like and you know what it honestly got me the first time I rode this but there's that uh, fake unload station part so there's that part where you go into what you think is the end of the ride and you, it even has like a platform and everything Yep. and, and the audio of a of a uh of an employee who is saying, you know, thank you for writing the mommy and blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. then and then oh, they pull the rug out from under you because here come because emoteb comes cu- comes blasting back into the room as an animatronic, and then you do a couple more roller coaster drops and turns and whatnot. And you know what? That got me the first time, and I quite enjoyed that.
1: I it even still gets me sometimes because it's just the timing. Because you're just having a good time, and then all of a sudden you're just like, "Is it this part? When does it?" And then it drops, and you're just like, "Yep, here we go."
0: What if they just added Emotep to other, uh, to other parts of the of other Universal attractions? Like you think, like as a fun April Fools, you think the ride's over, but then an animatronic of Emotep like bursts through. What? <laughs> Like at the end, be
1: hilarious, yeah.
0: Like at the end of ET Adventure, when you think ET's gonna say it, ET, Emotep just burst out from that big plant that ET's <laughs> e. standing on, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get your souls now! Ha. I'm gonna get your souls, Tom, Mary, Teddy, <laughs> Theodore, all, Tom, uh, Mary, Tom, you know all the all the names that they've collected for ET to say, but instead Emotep says that, because and they're like, they're and Ed. Dead.
1: Ed Ed, 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 Ed. Yes. <laughs> I think um there'd be a lot of babies leaving that area crying, and some very upset parents.
0: Oh. Would it be
1: baby. amusing? Absolutely, but I think you might get in trouble for that.
0: <laughs> I don't think they'd get in trouble. I think it's fine. I think now nah. uh, nah, they should do it. They should do it. Um. Oh, Brendan Fraser is in this ride, and it's fun to see him as a jerk. He's he's a, and because he has that, you know, uh, it's funny because we talked about earlier the storyline of how this is a film set and Brendan Fraser is trying to, is playing an asshole version of himself. Mm -hmm. So, that I think for people who don't know, that is the reason why at the end of the ride, there's a video segment you watch where Brendan Fraser gets upset about. Getting a cup of coffee, and then the mummy attacks him, which has become like well, I think an iconic part of uh, *Revenge of the Mummy*. Brendan Fraser and his cup of coffee—it's
1: so iconic. Um, someone at MegaCon actually dressed up as that iconic scene at the end, where um, for those who haven't written it, it is an employee who basically is the mummy now, mm-hmm. handing Brendan Fraser finally his cup of coffee. And someone went to his meet and greet dressed up as that character, and it was, I think, one of the best things I've ever seen in my life.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, did he get that? Like, did he understand that reference?
1: Yes, he did. Apparently.
0: Okay, because I, I mean, ran
1: to the person, and he absolutely knew who he was trying to be, which was hilarious.
0: Okay, because it's like sometimes actors will like do like theme park stuff like they'll be like all right i'll be in your queue video or whatever for like mm-hmm. one hour of my time so i'm like huh as much because brendan razor has a long career it's like i don't i don't i don't know if i would expect him if someone came to him cosplaying as a cup of coffee if he would instantly recognize like oh yeah that's from that one day of work i did on that universal attraction from years ago you know what i mean yeah.
1: Um, well, I think it did help that the gentleman had a sign
0: oh, as well, thing
1: okay. like the cup of coffee stick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And apparently he remembered it.
0: Okay. Hey, good for Brandon. I'm happy that he, he can still have a good sense of humor about that.
1: He's getting all the love. I think that's the most wonderful thing about him coming back into the scene. It's just we're all just happy he's kind of back.
0: Yeah, he had a, well, we don't have to get into it, he had a no. rough a rough go of it in his We don't need to get into stuff. it
1: because we are just happy he is here.
0: Yeah, oh, speaking of which, so uh, I who knows what the situation will be by the time this comes up, but as of this recording, Revenge of the Mummy in Florida is under refurbishment, a quite extensive refurbishment. Yes. It's been, been closed down since January, and we don't know. Uh, what the changes will exactly be, we don't know if there will be any major changes to the ride, or if this is simply a a extensive update to the ride's technology. Or you know, no one seems to quite know what the extent of this refurbishment is. But mm-hmm. Sarah, let's yeah. say you were in charge of this refurbishment, and you were given oh. unlimited money and oh. unlimited uh, control. Uh, would there be things you would do to change Revenge of the Mummy?
1: Yes, I would um, update the animatronics in the first room that I talked about earlier. Um, instead of just making them pop up, uh-huh. I think it'd be really cool to just have them. It'd be look like they're blank and they just kind of launch out at you instead.
0: Mm Like almost like a 3D effect, but but no, they're just like some robots going, ah, at you.
1: Yeah, I just think it would be, I just think it would add that, like, thrill that you get for the rest of the ride.
0: Uh Um,
1: I think updating some, not all, some of the animatronics to be a little bit more fluid with the technology we have now would just breathe an extra sense of life into it. Um, The only room, the only only room i would change is actually the very dark section of the roller coaster um cuz for me that's my only issue with the ride i just feel like you get this grandeur of like sets and animatronics and music and pyro and then the last like what minute of the ride you're in complete darkness it's you know glow in the dark paint so it's very kind of jarring from what you're kind of used to and I get it's supposed to be him chasing you and the spirits chasing you. But let's all be a little honest. It feels very much like a haunted house.
0: Yeah. It's all it's yeah. almost, yeah. It's like you're taking a roller coaster ride in a 70s stoner's room where there's a lot of black lights posters going on.
1: Yeah, it just I feel like it just makes the ride a little cheesy in a way that it doesn't have to. Um I hope any updates they add to that will be that room. If it were up to me, I would, if I had unlimited money, unlimited money, um, I don't know how many of you have looked at either the other mummy rides um, in the other parks, cause that's like one of my fun things to do at bed when I just can't sleep. I look up other theme park rides at, you know, just across the world, cause it's just so cool and after seeing so many rides, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Tokyo Disney with some of their like rides where you're going underground to the core yeah. of the earth.
0: Fantastic or, stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah, or some of the other rides with like the Indiana Jones escaping and everything like that with some of those roller coasters. And I think adding that element or something like that into Mummy, you can still do ride track. You can still do it in the dark. It doesn't have to be fully filled out in the room. But I feel like making your riders feel like they really are trying to escape while this temple is or set temple is crumbling around them would just add this extra oomph that I've always felt that this ride's kind of missing.
0: Okay, yeah. Can I add I on?
1: Like scary
0: things. Yeah. Can I add on to your uh, refurbishments idea? Absolutely. So I think you did a great job at adding and plusing up what's inside the ride, but I have a idea for what could be added on to the exit portion of the ride. Ooh. So, so like, you know, once you leave, I mean, I don't know if this got, this will change with the refurbishment, but in before the refurbishment, after you exited the vehicle, of course, you exited into a gift shop with stuff you could buy. And there was also a counter for photos where you could see your on-ride photo as, you know, there's, you can see a photo of yourself as you're, you know, taking a big drop in your face is going, ah, and you, yeah. can, you can buy that photo there. Here's what I'm thinking. There's a, because the counter for the on-ride photos is pretty long. But I don't think you need it to be that long. I think maybe you can just reduce that down to like one single computer or one single desk, maybe two computers. And you know what I think you do with that space? Mm. I think you make that into a coffee bar.
1: That would be so freaking cute. Oh my God.
0: Yeah, because it's all about, you know, you end the ride with the cup of coffee joke. And then at the end, when you're exiting out, you can get that cup of coffee.
1: I I absolutely love this idea and I would love for it to be like also if they could find those people to make it like an actor bit too where they're just like the stressed overwhelmed employee that's just like
0: yeah like
1: like, like make those people also actors like kind of like how um oh my gosh I'm forgetting the restaurants but the restaurants that they're mean to you
0: oh like, uh like,
1: staff is mean to you
0: oh yeah in, Uh But
1: instead, it's just a stressed out employee trying to be like, get your coffee and leave I have to go talk to
0: Brandon Fraser. Exactly. (laughs) So instead of like, instead of like, all right, I have a coffee for such and such. It's It's like, oh my goodness, take it. I have to get the, I have to get this film stock to the next department or else they're going to fire me. Then I can't get college credit. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hope this order was correct. Uh (laughs)
1: <laughs> and just make it then for that part just like simple fun themed drinks where they don't have to do that much you know you can do like
0: yeah
1: a green tea that looks like you know like scarab juice I don't know something weird like that and the, like yes, mocha yes. or just plain coffee and just just make it a spooky theme because that's really what a lot of this generation likes like we we are here for the spooky and the sexy that's I, what we loved about this movie.
0: Now I don't really know that much about coffee, so I could be completely wrong. But I know that often coffee is imported from other countries like Colombia and such. Absolutely. Um, are, are there are there Egyptian coffee beans, or and can you then, uh, in this uh, fantasy scenario, uh, import those Egyptian coffee beans to make Egyptian coffee in the in the mummy? exit gift store coffee bar
1: yes um actually there is coffee and um would i think there's like traditional things you can do with it
0: okay okay
1: i think that would be cool and you know especially then we can just open you know like like, I don't mean to compare it to other parks, but there's one thing Universal doesn't really do, but mm-hmm. should do mm-hmm. with these movie things. I think they should do that Epcot does, which is embraces those worlds that they're transporting you to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like embrace it. Even if it's not like England, um, like Egyptian coffee, like yeah. make it feel like a coffee shop in busy New York where it's just yeah. like, we don't have time, get out of my face, you mm-hmm. know? And even do some of those fun things with it.
0: All right, universe so what you need to do uh, when you reopen up this ride um, first all the dark sections you have to improve those special effects. yes you have to get more advanced animatronics mm-hmm. and then you have to open up a coffee bar with frustrated looking employees and We're then just
1: trying to get through the day.
0: yeah and then uh, yeah and then I think and then I think your ride goes from an A to an A plus
1: yeah and it's not that it's impossible because if you think about it and for those who don't know i'll explain it um you exit into a gift shop that's also attached to an arcade so like if you do add in a coffee spot it not only gives another coffee venue because there's only like really one starbucks in that whole park in universal besides today cafe it's another coffee place or tea place but it's also will get more people to come in, I guess, to the shop and also the arcade. So it's kind of like a win-win if you think about it.
0: Coffee sells, coffee sells. So, you know, coffee sells, coffee sells. and you know what? I think this is such a brilliant idea that, uh, like I said, with many ideas that I've come up with, uh, with guests on this podcast, uh, these ideas are here, uh, theme park corporations you just need to write the checks out get those six digit numbers on there seven digits would be even better so uh come on let's let's get this happening
1: let's get it and make money for these parks so more mm-hmm. people come
0: mm-hmm. now uh i think you look i think the fact that we've gushed about so many different rooms we've talked about the lore we've even talked mm-hmm. about things that we would improve but uh All that being said, before we uh, get to the end of this episode, uh, what are some final thoughts that you have about Revenge of the Mummy?
1: It has just such a wonderful place in my heart. And as someone who has had the opportunity to work from some attraction venues during quarantine and having a wonderful company that allowed me to do that, it's one of those venues that just has such a special place in my heart, because yes, it is one of the oldest roller coasters there still on property, but there's just so much love in that building when you really sit and think about it or if you get a chance to walk through it. Like They really put so much love from the ride to the queue to the uniforms. And I don't feel like that attention has really been given to that degree in a lot of the newer rides until like, I'll, I'll boldly say it to the, you know, Velocicoaster ride. I feel like a lot of the rides that we recently added, like there's, there's just been that like little missing, like, you know, special spark, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Except for fast and furious because that's just, we all know.
0: <laughs> um, well, no, it's supercharged. It does. It has a lot of sparks, you know, you supercharge those sparks.
1: Yeah, they supercharged those cars. <laughs> but I, it's, a, it's a ride that I like to recommend people when I worked at Green Gots and there was a little bit of a height difference, but, you know, they weren't really sure what to expect. Um, funny enough, like a lot of us would talk to the kids who were like scared or upset and we would compare it to the mummy drops. Like, you know, because they do have that in common. And when they weren't comfortable working on other rides or they want to experience a beginning dark ride, that's absolutely the first ride I would send them to because the queue makes it just as dark as the ride does. So it gives time for your brain to kind of understand what you're about to get into.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, it's just a classic attraction overall. I think yeah. at this point it can be called one of the classic universal attractions, I, I feel.
1: It absolutely is one of the classics. Like, how can you miss it? You turn yeah. the corner and there it is, like, yeah. in all its glory.
0: Indeed, indeed. And you know what? Uh, speaking of talking about classic universal stuff, I think we've reached the end of this episode. But before we wrap it up, you, Sarah Rose, mm-hmm. you have to yes. go through your own psychological thrill ride by answering uh-huh. this question so oh we talked about the movie the mummy we talked about mm-hmm. the ride revenge of the mummy yes you enjoy both of those however yes. not that you are demeaning either one saying that there's any inferiority to them mm-hmm. but if you had to choose which one in your opinion is the better experience therefore do you ride the ride or movie the movie
1: you have to movie movie first before you can ride the ride
0: okay what what what's the little is it is that the edge for you that the move that the movie just came first
1: yeah but i feel like for those who have never, you know, didn't grow up with that movie or maybe have never seen it, but been on the ride. I feel like you miss a lot of the specialness about the ride until you kind of see that movie. Also, it's such an iconic movie. Like these sets were huge. The costuming was insane. The budget was crazy. And it's just so iconic that it's, you know, you can just say, oh, The Mummy and pretty much everyone our age and younger nine out of 10 times know exactly what you're talking about
0: exactly and you know what speaking of things that we know we're talking about i know what i'm talking about when i <laughs> say that i had such a fabulous time talking with you on this podcast episode same here um but before we formally go before we uh, the part of this life into the afterlife as stories of the mummy often tell us. Uh, mm-hmm. are there any projects that you would like to plug or any social media stuff you'd like to mention to our listeners?
1: Oh, this is my first time doing a plug. So forgive me, you forgive me for sounding uh, extremely uh, amateur. But I would say if you were just interested to see what I create or what I get up, into because I started getting back into performing, I would just say follow my Instagram, which is cinder.designs. I pretty much post everything there and I hope to have some new projects coming up soon. I just applied to a couple. Um, I have a couple of like gowns coming up so you can expect a lot of pictures coming up soon. So yeah, just a lot of interesting things coming up and hopefully, I will have a lot of spooky things coming up soon for this Halloween season.
0: Ooh, spooky! Always no, good. Well, no wonder, me. no wonder you're always, no wonder you want to talk about the mummy. You're just about that spookiness.
1: I am all about the spookiness. Born in October, you just can't get the spook yeah. out of this girl. Yeah.
0: You love, and you love all the mummies, including Tom Cruise. That's what you mean by that, including the Tom Cruise mummy. You love that equally. Mm. Um, mm. Now that you love all things spooky and. Let not all
1: horror is good. I think we can all safely agree about that. Some <laughs> horror is
0: just
1: uh, not good. Yeah. but, but I, I think that's the joy of horror is that it doesn't always have to be good to kind of just scratch that itch.
0: You can just vibe with it. Yeah. And you know what? The vibe for good on this episode. Thank you for so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I want to say thank you once again to Sarah Rose for being a great guest on the program. And thank you to you, the listeners, for being great listeners. If you're listening to me right now, that means you did not skip ahead, I assume. And therefore, your listening skills are quite impeccable. Uh, you know, it's also impeccable that if you like the show, you can impeccably follow it on Twitter at... TPTM Pod. you can also email the show at tptmpod at gmail.com and if you're feeling particularly nice and generous you can leave this show a five star rating and review on apple podcasts and spotify next week we keep rolling along with this season talking about our favorite movies and theme park attractions and until then i'll see you at the snack stand